0: Welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and I am here today with Nancy Lamaster, who is the committee chair for the Hospital Purchasing Managers Index Report on Business. One that we have been anxiously awaiting because there's so much going on with COVID. We want to find out what's really happening in the hospitals. Nancy, thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It is a very tumultuous time right now.
0: It is. And we're curious because we're hearing that there is difficulty approaching crisis in the hospitals. Is that reality?
1: So, you know, we're looking at the results of the July report, and things are happening so quickly out there. But as we look at the numbers for the July report, um, we're definitely seeing that the hospitals are, are very busy, very full. The PMI came in at 62.8. It's been growing for the last 14 months. But when we looked at business activity in particular, the drill down, 695 for July. That's the highest level it's been in 2021. So um, very, very busy. New orders were at 64.5. That was down a little bit from June at 66 and the backlog at 66% up slightly. So what we're seeing um, and hearing more and more every day is that um, the, what we Talked about last month in June where we had some COVID cases flaring in rural areas, and we were hoping maybe it would contain there. Well, as you know from the news, it's spread like wildfire. So um, very busy. We are seeing that the COVID is once again pushing the elective procedures out of the hospitals. Um, You may have seen on the news what I think they said there are six ICU beds in all of Austin right now. Uh, Texas just put out a call for additional resources from other parts of the country. Of course, the irony is they have a law against mask mandates in Texas. But um, we're seeing it being very busy. And what's extremely worrisome, you know, we've been talking about this all year, is that employment number. And it went down to 48% in July in the contracting range. Um, and it's been very unstable. I went back and looked at all of 2021, and literally it's been a roller coaster. One month will we'll edge up into the growth range, the next month, crash down into contracting. And I was talking with a supply chain executive just yesterday who said that the limiting factor right now in their facility isn't supply, it's labor and the fact that they are not able to staff all of the beds that they theoretically could use for patient care if they had enough staff. So the staffing situation is very, very serious.
0: Yes, Nancy, I agree. And I have been reading where the healthcare workers are trying to recover from the 2020 events and their uh, supervisors are very concerned that they're having a hard time grappling with the trauma of yet another round of COVID. So I don't know if there is anything on the horizon other than COVID abating that says that this employment picture will improve.
1: I think there's a lot of headwind against it. I mean, I do think that the systems themselves, the healthcare systems, are trying very hard to make um, mental health counseling available to to try and help folks. But in some cases, you know, what they really need is a break. Um, And yet you've got all of this demand. And then as you saw in the manufacturing reports and the um, service reports, wages are going up. So when you're looking to fill the the basic food service, housekeeping, supply tech positions where you're competing against general industry, um, and they are getting higher wages in other industries, and they're not being maybe as uh, apt to come in contact with COVID in some of those jobs, um, it makes recruiting that entry-level workforce even more difficult.
0: Nancy, I know these reports coming out of the Institute for Supply Management, which you folks can find at ismworld.org, always have comments. And in the comments section for the hospital report, what are you reading?
1: So, um, you know, what we are reading is that as we were going into July, coming out of July, there was a mix of comments in that some areas were still not seeing the flare of COVID yet. They were still seeing the elective procedures, which which was a good thing. Um, I think we know anecdotally, and we've all seen on the news that as the month of August has has started to play out, that that has gotten worse. Um, There were a lot of comments about um, not just the employment we just talked about, but still having difficulties with acquisition of certain supplies, that the um, delays in the uh, ocean traffic, the port congestion are continuing to uh, cause problems. And if I looked at the number, the supplier delivery number was up again at 69 for 20 months. That's been you know in the mode of, of supplier delivery slowing and being worse. So um, that is very high. We also had some interesting, which could be leading comments. If you remember, inventory has been going down the past six months, and inventory sentiment has been that it's been too high. And we've talked about burning off some of that pandemic stock, um, but we're hearing comments that par levels are building again because of this slowness in supplier delivery. So we may be right on the edge. Now we've got... A full-fledged, you know, um, spike in COVID, another wave, which of course will increase the demand for those PPE supplies. So, you know, I'm a little worried down the road. Um, we're going to see more of a pinch on supplies than we are right this minute. People are say they're coping pretty well with the supply situation, with the exception of a few hot spots, like gloves, still continue to be a hot spot certain blood tubes continue to be a hot spot.
0: Certainly uh, very difficult for the hospitals to keep pace with this because their world is somewhat unpredictable. Things happen and they have to respond. It's not like they can look out six months and say this is what we expect the conditions to be. How are the supply chain executives managing in this climate?
1: Well, you know, I think that one of the things that, of of the good things, the silver linings we always look for in any, you know, in any crisis has been how the healthcare providers, the hospitals have kind of pulled together to help each other. Um, And I know um, the American Hospital Association has worked, for example, to set up a ventilator loaning program. So if, If one part of the country isn't seeing the demand for ventilators, they loan their equipment to hospitals that are in crisis. You know, we've seen even um, in Missouri, where I am, where, you know, it was one of the original hotspots with the Delta variant. Um, At that point in time, we saw people attempt to move from the cities to the rural areas to help out. Obviously, that's very hard when everybody's under pressure. But I do think there is this sense of generosity and sharing Um, And even if it's just things as mundane as what's your process for um, establishing your burn rate on a supply or what's your policy related to employee vaccinations or any of those kinds of things, people are sharing and attempting to help each other as best they can. And, you know, volunteers, people are helping, but, you know, it's, it's, um, just, you're stretching your resources beyond what you thought you could, and you become very creative, right?
0: Right. Now, one of the things that you and I were talking about earlier was staffing, and I didn't realize, and I should have, and sometimes when you get these reports from ISM, they're real eye-openers on things like staffing across state lines. Right. And And it appears that that's not as easy. One would assume they could just do it, but they just can't.
1: Right. So, you know, every state sets up their licensure requirements. And for cities like St. Louis, right, that are right on the border, you can't necessarily just send, you know, nursing staff across the river. You have to have either negotiated um, some kind of agreement with that state that decides that, you know, in a crisis, we'll we'll have reciprocal uh, licensure agreement or encourage people to have licenses in both states. Um, So, you know, there are little things like that. And then each, um, each type of professional has their own requirements. So it's not the same for radiology techs as it is for nurses, as it is for doctors. So um, you know, we, we have made this industry very complex in that way. Um, and so I think that, again, when I talk about, you know, local communities coming together, I think that even, you know, states working together in some cases to relax or waive those requirements during a crisis, you know, has been something very, very beneficial. The other thing that, um, you know, we've seen is this is a global pandemic. There have been other times where a crisis might be more locally operated. I can remember a serious time where we have, were facing quite a labor uh, shortage and we brought in nurses from the Philippines. Well, you know, again, every country is in need of all of their workers. So, um, you know, I, I think it's put all of us on, on notice and, and shifted a lot of the focus to the point you made earlier, Tim, which is really critical. How do we care for and retain that staff? You know, and I, I said that, you know, the at the beginning of the pandemic, they had the, the thank yous to the first responders and all of that. We need to keep that going. These people are under tremendous pressure.
0: No doubt. No doubt. Uh, the other area of concern always is, um, you know, how are the hospitals bottom lines handling this kind of a crisis? They make their money on elective procedures. They get reimbursed by the federal government on these pandemic procedures, but um, they could well be spending more than they're making. How are they doing paying their bills?
1: Right. You know, if we looked at our indicators, we talked a lot about labor and the pressure to recruit and find labor and that pushing up wages. um, Supplies, The, the price index on supplies this month was up. 5% over the prior month, 67 versus 62, heavily driven by pharmaceuticals whose prices have increased month over month for the last 40 months. So you've got tremendous pressure on both supply and labor, um, which puts hospitals in a very, very difficult Position. The uh, Kaufman Hall is one of the uh, industry leaders in measuring financial impact to hospitals, and um, they came out recently saying, you know, that they're seeing hospital margins being pushed down into the 2% range, um, and sometimes worse, so, um, you know, we can't say enough that the way out of this is to get COVID under control. And, you know, I think that hopefully we'll see increased uh, vaccination rates and people being cautious and trying to stop the spread of it, because really, that's the only way the hospitals are going to be able to recover.
0: You know, there's been some talk uh, over the years about national strategic policies for this, that. Is there a federal look at the healthcare industry at this point because of the pandemic, particularly in licensing of individuals? And to say, folks, we've got to probably look at federal licensing so these people can go from state to state anywhere in the country to respond to a crisis, is that happening?
1: I don't know about in terms of the licensing, um, Tim, but I do know that there is a group uh, trying to look at supply chain resilience Um, And how we responded to the pandemic. If you remember, there's been a lot of talk about the national stockpile and what it had and didn't have in the case of when uh, COVID first broke out, Um, discussions about how we could better um, everything from do we need to bring some manufacturing of essential PPE back into the United States, how dependent are we on uh, more risk? And, you know, I'm seeing organizations, in fact, uh, there was a group of organizations uh, related to those that represent manufacturers, hospitals, distributors coming together to try and provide input to the government on what kind of policy changes we need um, and what kind of support we need to better respond in the future. Uh, to these pandemics, so yes, I think there are uh, initiatives kind of underfoot. The challenge is, you know, it's you've got people trying to look towards the future when you're firefighting at the moment. But I think those will continue. I think there is some funding out there um, for uh, some really kind of a deep dive on the role of federal, state, and local partnerships to try and improve our responsiveness.
0: Mm-hmm. Nancy, the supply chain itself, as we have learned in the pandemic, and it's gotten more publicity probably than ever before, stretches outside the borders of the United States off into other countries. How reliant are we on, for instance, China at the moment for masks, or are we able to keep up with our own needs with our own production?
1: Most of our PPE, personal protective equipment, either is manufactured outside the US or dependent on raw materials that come from outside the US. Um, There has been an increase um, of, there are a few companies that have uh, increased their manufacturing within the the US borders or what they call near shore uh, Canada and Mexico um, during the pandemic expanding production. But, you know, it's, it's, A small amount. I mean, when you think of our pharmaceutical supply chain, almost all of our major ingredient, raw material ingredients, either comes from India or Asia or, you know, somewhere um, outside the U.S. So, again, I think, you know, a lot of looking at what what do we need to do and then, you know, how do we continue to support it in a sustainable way? When you're in the middle of a crisis, nobody argues about paying a little bit more for a domestically produced good. After that crisis kind of calms down and now you're faced with, you know, hospitals making one or two percent margins or negative margins, The you know, is the pressure going to build to say I can save a nickel if I buy the one in China? And then suddenly the U.S. manufacturers stop manufacturing. So we're going to have to be very holistic in hoping the US produce an economically viable good, right? But also in not being short-sighted in that we've got to consider the global risk factors when we make these decisions of what manufacturers we're gonna buy product from.
0: No doubt, there is a deep concern and a valid one, even as we try to correct it with blockchain technology, that there are counterfeits in the system. Yes. Uh, I know that's a deep concern for the hospital industry, the healthcare industry as a whole. They prescribe an antibiotic or some other drug, and what the patient actually gets is not that at all. Okay. What is the federal government doing along those lines? And, and does that show up anywhere in your comments or, or your concerns?
1: So, kind of on two things, I think more has been done. In the pharmaceutical world than the medical device world in terms of track and trace. So there is definitely uh, regulation and increased uh, uh, scrutiny around being able to trace the a drug from raw material to dispensing. And there's there's more work being done on that from uh, the computer technology to do that to the way drugs have uh, national drug codes a unique code that can be followed. On the medical device side, we're we're behind significantly, Um, but there is a requirement from the FDA that all products have a unique device identifier. You'd think of that like in the grocery store, the barcode that tells you it's green beads. Well, we need the same thing on medical devices, and then we need to make sure that hospitals record that in the patient's medical records so we can trace that device and, and make sure it is authentic. So there's some work being done, but there's what's called the gray market, um, and you saw it in the comments. And what that what that kind of means is that if you think of the – I'm going to call it the basic products, like the PPE that most hospitals – use, most hospitals buy that through a distributor and they don't buy it direct from the manufacturer. The distributor, you know, kind of, um, you know brings together the product, warehouses it and then delivers it to the hospital as it's needed. And those distributors are, are very um, diligent and they buy directly from the manufacturer and they try and create that chain of custody. But there are companies that um, let's say you buy too much of something as a hospital, they'll come to you and say, well, we'll buy your overstock. And they might buy it from you, but they also might buy it from some third party that we don't have great traceability. And so then they go to hospitals and say, you don't have enough N95 masks. I've got some, I'll sell these to you, usually at a at high profit, but you don't necessarily know for sure those came from the manufacturers. They call it the gray market because you may be getting a legitimate product that somebody just bought too much. And you know it's kind of like, I'll sell it on eBay, but it's very possible those are counterfeit products. And so that creates a lot of concern in the medical device uh, supply chain. And we saw a lot of that at the beginning of the pandemic, people um, advertising products, shipping products out of, of other countries. And then when we got you know, they arrive, they were made of substandard materials or they were uh, counterfeit.
0: Wow, that's scary. Well, Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate you being with us and sharing all this information. Anything else you want to touch on in the report before we wrap up, Nancy?
1: Well, I think that the couple of the metrics that we'll be wanting to, to obviously watch, we've already talked about the employment versus the volume. Um, you know, in the hospital-specific uh, metrics, the one thing we, we spend a lot of time watching is the one called technology spend. And that's where, you know, hospitals are investing maybe in more expensive technologies or expansion. And that's kind of the lever as the profitability get shaky, if there's concern there, they'll pull that technology spend back. So we're going to be watching that to see, again, with this wave of COVID, um, if that gets pulled back. And that's a signal to the manufacturers of that type of product that, you know, there may be a ripple effect on their sales.
0: Well, we'll certainly anxiously await the next report, which you'll be joining us in September on, probably around September 7th. Right. And we greatly appreciate what you're sharing with us. The ISM has done a terrific job pulling this together and we, uh, we enjoy your insight into the report. Thanks for being with us.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Tim. Look forward to next month.
0: And that wraps up this section of manufacturing talk radio. Thank you everyone for joining us and you can see this episode at jacketmediaco.com and all of our other podcasts, as well as our eZ Manufacturing Outlook at manufacturingoutlook.com. Thanks for being with us.